I want to talk with you tonight about the significance of this wondrous cross so that when we come to the table of communion in a little while, we may do so more deeply, personally aware of our need as sinners and more deeply and personally in awe of the greatness of our Savior. I want to reflect with you tonight about the meaning of this cross and confess at the start my debt to Kevin Miller of Christianity Today for a very creative idea that underlies tonight's message. It involves this small section of brick wall that you may have noticed up here in the center of our chancel. Uh, This is not here because it's gardening season. This is here for a particular reason. This, This wall that you see set here on the chancel is a much larger reality than I could represent here. It symbolizes, it suggests, it points us towards a wall of vastly larger dimensions, one that stretches out and up in every conceivable way. But what I want you to understand about the nature of this wall is that it runs through every nation. It runs through every relationship. It runs through every single heart, every life on this planet. And what I hope that you will notice, especially, about this representation here is that this wall stands between us and the place of communion. And this place of communion. That is a problem. Because we all want communion. Whether consciously or unconsciously, most people that I've ever met maybe all people I've ever met, are reaching, are reaching out for some kind of communion. They may be distracted from that purpose for a little while by the noise and affairs of this world. The quest that they are on may be masked even from themselves in various ways. But in their clearest moments, people are trying to experience a deeper communion. They're trying to experience it with a member of their family. They're trying to experience it with their neighbors or their workmates. They're trying to experience this deeper communion with some vision of their better selves. They're trying to experience it above all with the mysterious God whose name they might not even know. The mysterious and wondrous God who made them for relationships. The God who is the source of love and light and Life itself and within every single human being that you have ever met, that's alongside of you here in this place tonight, that's within the sound of my voice, within every single one of us is this vestigial memory that once upon a time, we were not alone. We were not alone. We enjoyed a communion with the one who is our source. And with the other creatures of his creation. And we are longing to return to it. The world that we live in today bears all kinds of marks 
of the frustrating, devastating inability we feel and have to get to that particular place we want to go. We're plagued by all of these conflicts and these crises and the crimes of our age. We're beset by the confusion and the clutter and the clatter of our time. We're haunted by war and worry, by neurosis and numbness increasingly. And always there are these voices that we are hearing that are claiming to tell us they know the solution to these calamities, these crises of ours. The solution is that we need to get that party out and our party in. That will address our deepest need. We need to fix the schools or we need to reform the laws. We need to apply better science or invent some new kind of technology. We need to buy this product or apply that particular salve. We need to get more police out there or we need to dole out more other kinds of resources out there. But it is not really what is going on out there that is the problem. The problem is what's going on in here. It's the problem we have that we just cannot get to that place of communion. We're being blocked from getting to the place that we want to go. Now the Bible calls this interior problem, this blockage, sin. Have you said that word out loud recently? Try it on your lips. The word is sin. All have sinned and fall short. Can't get to the glory of God. Sin is the weight of human depravity. Um, Sin is the heaviness of our denial of God's primacy in our lives. Sin is the weightiness of a heart that is separated from God. Sin is Adam and Eve or any one of us of any gender thinking that life is going to be better if we prioritize our cravings over communion with God. Sin is the selfishness and the stupidity and the sickness of human character that comes because we have lost our connection with the one who is love and wisdom and health itself. Sin is like being hit in the head with a brick so that we can no longer see straight or walk straight anymore. And because everybody else has been hit in the head with the same brick, We don't realize that this meandering is not the way we were meant to be. Sin is more than just the brick that's hit us in the head. Sin is the brick wall itself. It's the whole barrier itself. It's what keeps us falling short of the glory for which We were made. Sin is what the Son of God came to this earth to apply his hands to, to take upon himself so that the dividing wall between us and God could be taken down and a life-giving communion restored. Are you with me so far? This is 
Sin 101. Now, I know this is hard, even in these simple terms, to take in. It's hard to make it more than an academic proposition. So let me try and take it down to an even more personal level. Back in, in the year 2004, a fellow by the name of Frank Warren, a, a local businessman actually in a, a small town uh, in Maryland, in Germantown, Maryland, uh, got this idea that came to him in a dream. I mean, it literally had a dream, and this idea was just vivid for him, almost like Joseph getting a dream in the Old Testament, or the father of Jesus getting the dream in the New Testament. Uh, Frank Warren had this dream, and it was an idea for what he came to call a community art project. Warren, who, as I mentioned, was a small business owner at the time, began to do what the dream suggested he do. He got a whole collection of, of, of white postcards, and, and he carried a whole stack of them with him wherever he went, and he began handing out these postcards to people, to strangers, to friends, uh, to neighbors. Um, he would leave stacks of these postcards in public places. Uh, he, he would take them into art galleries, and he'd leave them in Starbucks, and, and, and he would sneak into libraries, and he would leave little post, these postcards in between the leaves of books. And when he went away in business, he would do likewise. And, and each of these postcards had a short message on one side of it that invited its recipients to write down a secret. Okay? To, to write down a secret. And the secret needed to fulfill two criteria. One, it had to be true. It really had to be true. The truth about something you know or something you are or something you've done. And secondly, it had to be something they had never told anyone else before. Now, once the person had recorded the secret on the card, they were to mail it back to the address that Frank gave them without any kind of signature, without any kind of return address on it. These confessions were to be absolutely anonymous. Only God would know who wrote them. Only God would, would fully see. Now, over the next weeks, cards began to arrive at Frank's mailbox. It was just a trickle at first, and then the trickle became a steady stream, and then it became a tremendous torrent. Literally thousands of people wrote down their messages, their secrets on these cards. Not just the cards that Frank handed out, they began finding cards of their own, right? And writing stuff on them. And the cards started coming in from all over America and then from places like Brazil and Germany and France. In France, they have a lot of secrets, <laughs> right? And more than a decade later, people are still doing it. For a little while, there was an app for your phone called Post Secret. Dot com. There's a website by this name that, that derives from this. More than two million hits on this. Within three months, they had to close it down. It was just so overwhelmed by the number of people. 
And all of these people from every walk of life were were writing in and confessing in one way or another the, the secret sin and the struggle and the seeking for communion that was weighing upon their hearts. And I, I want to share a few of the secrets with you tonight. Will, would you let me share them with you? I've been given permission to share them. They're published actually in a series of books called Post Secret. I want to share some of these with you to help make vivid the secrets that God knows that God hears, that God cares about. I want to make vivid the secrets that moved God with such compassion that he was willing to stretch out his arms and bear the weight of all of it upon the wondrous cross. And and so, hear the story of Good Friday in light of these truths, okay? As we hear that big truth, hear it in light of these truths. Here are just a few of the things that people shared. And I have taped each of these postcards, fittingly, to a brick. I waste office supplies because I hate my boss. I became a cop so that I could try to stop myself. But it's not working. Sometimes I wish that I was blind so that I would not have to look at myself every day in the mirror. When most people talk to me, I'm thinking, what an idiot. I wished on a dandelion for my husband to die. I wish I had the courage to throw myself off the top of this chapel. I'd ask for help, but no one actually cares or understands. Everyone is self-absorbed in their own lives. And then... They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said. Stay here and keep watch. But the disciples fell asleep. When my friends go on diets, I I discourage them. This is because I really just want them to be fatter than me. (laughs) Whenever I go into a store and it's quiet and the shelves are full, I just want to tip them over (laughs) and break everything.
I go to fraternity parties and I wait for everyone to get drunk. And then I steal all their stuff. I'm convinced that my scoliosis is a physical manifestation of how twisted I am inside. Now Judas, who betrayed him, came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him to the house of the high priest. I've become the kind of driver I despise. I don't really care about recycling. But I pretend to. (laughs) I would give anything for an opportunity to show even the smallest kindness to my ex-wife, if I could. I constantly live my life as if people from my life, dead or alive, are watching me. Simon Peter went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside at the door. A servant girl on duty there asked Peter, you aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? He replied, I am not. Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it saying, I am not one of the high priest's servants. A relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment a rooster began to crow. People think that I've stopped lying, but I've just gotten better at it. I've I've started shooting heroin again. I'm 52 years old, and I had phone sex for the first time, and I think I like it. I tell people that I'm an atheist, but I believe that I am going to hell. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. Pilate summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, 
The reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. I have one night stands because it makes me feel loved. I want to be in love, but I'm afraid it will not solve all my problems like I want it to. TV and movies are my escape from reality. It's the only way that I'm able to stop myself from thinking about what I can't have. I would leave my entire life behind just to be with you. Please, just ask me. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews, said Pilate to the crowd? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. I hate prom. I think it's just there so the popular kids feel special. Your wedding is in May. And I would give anything to have her place. I'm jealous of her baby. And I haven't spoken to my dad in 10 years. And it kills me every day. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. I came back to L.A. to be with your brother, not you. We're in love and you have nothing. You once broke my heart and now yours is. I've been having an affair with my husband's best friend for the last six months. I shoplift. 
night that he died, he tried to call me. And when I saw that it was him, I didn't answer. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them. I hope, I hope that there's another 9-11 type accident here in Manhattan because then real estate prices will drop and then I could finally afford to buy an apartment. I realize this is a horrible thought. He has been in prison for two years because of what I did, nine more years to go. I was so afraid that my husband would find out I cheated on him with you. When I went to your funeral, I should have felt sad, but I was secretly relieved that you took our secret to the grave. Later, knowing that everything had now been fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What I need most is God's Spirit, but I just drink alcohol instead. I often miss this little girl whose dreams had no barriers, who believed in a world where anything was possible, with a heart that was full and unbroken. It was so much easier to be happy as a child. When I was in the fourth grade, a popular leader convinced two of my friends to pin me to the ground and to hold open my eyelids, and they took turns spitting into my eyes. I found these stamps as a child, and I've been waiting all my life to have someone to send them to. But I never did have someone. Surely he took up our pain and bore our sufferings. 
yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was given to him, and by his wounds we are healed. I am still struggling with what I've become. I don't know what I want, but I don't want this. I I don't even know which secret to send in. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It was the Lord's will to crush him and make his life an offering for sin. He will see the light of life. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. I will give him a portion among the great because he poured out his life unto death and bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. (laughs) 